This podcast is brought to you by MedCloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back. And my guest today is Paul Tomlinson, who is a 20-year veteran of the UK IT and MSP space, having started as a 16-year-old engineer and forming PT Connection Services in 1997, growing that team to 20 employees and providing IT support to national recruitment and retail organisations. In October 2002, Paul formed Myris IT Services in Buckinghamshire as a small three-person company and becoming a multi-award-winning organisation employing over 100 people. Along the way, Paul's vision of becoming one of the most trusted MSPs started coming to fruition and it wasn't long before Myris IT Services was named in the top 25% of MSPs globally by MSP Mentor Magazine, which is one of the most distinguished lists to be on. In 2019, Paul sold his stake in Myris to pursue a new challenge and follow his dream of over 20 years where he and his wife created Fierce Gym in Milton Keynes. I met Paul at my first CompTIA event in Coventry in 2014 and he immediately made an impression on me. He welcomed me as part of the group and in that first meeting introduced me to members and made me feel part of that community. He's been my inspiration in all that I do at CompTIA and my involvement in introducing and welcoming new members and giving back to the industry that we have all been involved in. Paul, welcome to the Vanguard podcast and thanks so much for joining me this morning. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Doing great, mate. In In a September morning where, as usual, the rain is throwing it down. Yeah, that's the same this end. <laughs> Always the way. It's England and it's, you know, the end of cricket season. So, of course, it's raining. Well, I'm not really a cricket fan, so, <laughs> but I can certainly recognise the weather. Fair enough. Mate, thanks so much for joining me today. I mean, we've known each other now seven years, believe it or not, and we've always caught up at events or, you know, wherever we've uh, bumped into each other. But I've always, you know, I follow you on LinkedIn and, and all the social stuff. You've got such a tremendous story. It's a story about not going through university and doing all this and doing all that. It's about graft and hard work and, you know, starting off as a 16-year-old engineer. So can you give us a, you know, a five-minute overview of Paul Tomlinson and, and, and the 16-year-old engineer starting up a business and then going on and, and, and forming Myris and where you are now? Yeah, um, yeah, I can. Uh, it's a long time ago. Um, it, I've actually got a 15-year-old son, so I'm trying to have conversations with my son about not doing things the way I did them. It's quite entertaining when he, he looks at what we've accomplished and says, you know, well, it didn't seem to work out that badly for you. But So, yeah, I think, um, you know, me at school, academically, I did reasonably well. I had options around staying on to do A-levels and obviously continue through to university, but I didn't enjoy school. I felt like I enjoyed IT. At the time, there wasn't an IT qualification available within the school I was at. So I decided that what I'd actually do is basically become an apprentice. So I worked for a a local IT provider for a short period of time, um, and they were great. They were really friendly guys looked after me but after I would say probably a year 18 months I, I found an opportunity to to create my own business and and that business was PT Connection Services PT as in Paul Tomlinson the idea of the business was really to provide IT support to businesses as they were starting to use the World Wide Web you know adopt email addresses things like that what I actually ended up doing was everything from Lotus CC mail implementations I mean this is this is way back through to we did a project for London Underground where we did portable appliance testing for every single corner shop in London. So we had a team of 20 guys that were basically driving around London doing electrical safety testing for the card machine that people would buy to go on the underground. 
So it was um, it was a really interesting business um, in that we would basically do anything that would, was in any way IT related to generate some income, but it was a totally project-based business. Uh, so there was, there was no consideration of recurring revenue, no consideration of where the next lead was going to come from and the next opportunity. It just seemed to be that we were flying and nothing was ever going to change. And then suddenly something changed, which was there was no more leads. Um, so um, that was my first realization that um, being a young entrepreneur and focusing on just the delivery side of things and not thinking about sales wasn't necessarily the right way to go. So, so yeah, first business failed. I went personally bankrupt. So I decided that I didn't fancy staying in the UK and, and kind of working through that bankruptcy and, you know, just all of the hassle that was around that. And I felt that I, I hadn't really had an opportunity to, to travel and enjoy myself. So I decided I'd actually move to Ireland. My family are Irish. Um, so I moved to Dublin and I lived in Dublin for four, nearly five years and working for an IT provider in Ireland. So originally I joined uh, helping them with the what they call the Intel platform, which is basically Microsoft Technologies, but for an AS400 RS6000 based company. And I really enjoyed it. You know, it was a small business based in Dublin. Um, they had lots of high profile clients. We did, you know, some really interesting projects. We kind of went through the whole millennium bug there and did all the projects surrounding that. But that itch to go back and do it myself was always kind of burning. So I had a conversation with the guy who owned the business at the time and just said, look, I don't want to work for you forever. Um, I want to go and do my own thing. And uh, and I think he was preparing for sale, which he subsequently did a few years later. And he was just worried that if I went off and did my own thing whilst I was still in Dublin, I was going to end up with some of his customers, some of his engineers. And, you know, that was his kind of his retirement plan. Um, so we, we, had a, we had a chat, a real friendly chat. And I just said, look, you know, you've got these concerns. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll just go back to England and just do it there. And it's funny when I look back on it, because obviously, you know, when you're young, you don't really consider how is it all going to work? You just go, yeah, I'll just do this. And um, and for whatever reason, it just worked like that. I just went back and picked up some work as an engineer doing some consultancy business. This time I decided to create a name for the business rather than call it PT something. And I sat down with a Latin dictionary and just went through a list of words and said, you know, Myra sounds quite cool. You know, I found the word extraordinary, checked the translation. And I was like, that'll work, you know. <laughs> and that's what Myra stands for. And that's what it stands for, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, and I think it took about 15 minutes to decide on that. And, you know, some people might say that it was a great brand and it was something that we should have spent ages thinking about or it was a terrible brand and, the, you know, the brand name reflects the 15 minutes of thought that went into it, but it seemed to work well for us. You can sell in your voice that you've got some affection for the for the chap in, in Dublin that, that that owned the company and gave you a chance and stuff. Would you say he was a mentor or or, or took you under the wing and, and mentoring was part of that relationship you had with him? Yeah, I think so. Very much so, actually. You know, when I moved there, I was probably 19, 20, having recently failed in running a business, having gone personally bankrupt and obviously moved to a new city. Um, so, you know, there was a whole load of change in my life. And there was this guy who's probably... I guess he was in his mid-50s, uh, Hugh his name was, and he was running a successful business, very much customer-focused, really friendly, sociable guy, focused on trying to build customer relationships inside business, but also outside of business, and did the same with his team as well. So I think there was a lot of things, that actually, I, I learned from him through that time that I kind of continued on through my working life. You know, I saw those those attributes that actually, as an owner-manager, I think a lot of people aspire to work that way. Um, so, yeah, he would, he was definitely somebody that I looked at and thought, 
you know, he's doing this well in terms of engagement from the team and things like that. So, yeah, that he was definitely a, an inspiration within within my life. Great. Do you aspire to, and I'm going off on tangent a little bit, we'll come back to Morris in a second, but you were saying, you know, you took a lot out of, of that relationship with Hugh. You took that into your businesses moving forward. But is that something that you now aspire as you get a little bit older? Obviously, you're still a very young man, of course. But do you subconsciously or consciously try and do the same inspiration and mentoring in, in your life now, whether it be personal business with your kids or with their friends? Yeah, I think with them, um, obviously with kids, it's, it's slightly different. You always have that. They won't listen to you anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you try and tell them the right thing and the way it yeah. should be and they just ignore you. And what would you know? Yeah, exactly. I think um, indirectly and, and, and not, you know, we through the last five, ten years, I can think of three or four individuals that I've ended up supporting in their journey um, where they've come to me as kind of, young entrepreneurs and you know asked if I can help them with certain projects or something like that and we've ended up striking up a friendship and you know I've supported them through their business not because of any financial gain just because actually you see a spark in someone and you think actually it'd be really good if I could help them to realize what's there Um, and and yeah I think you know some of those people have recognized the support I've given them and equally I don't think others have and you know you kind of think well we try to do a lot together and I try to help you but you know it's just some people don't necessarily see it but I think you know locally within Milton Keynes we've tried to do over the last few years stuff with um, young people in terms of Milton Keynes College so helping people when they're on IT and business qualifications when I was at Myris and now subsequently where life's a little bit different helping people with uh, journey into the fitness world as well so yeah I think there's that thought to always try and help people I think that is something that I've I've seen from others and it's a trait I'd like to kind of see in myself going forward. Absolutely. So you came back from Dublin and and was it then that you set up Myris? As you said, you went through the naming uh, process, which I've actually been through with a couple of companies that I helped uh, along the way. And I know how hard it is. 15 minutes and come up with a name like Myris. I'm really impressed, by the way. <laughs> so the journey of Myris and, and to where you are now. Yeah. So that, I mean, that obviously the, the idea of that limited company was um, uh, basically a limited company for me to invoice as an engineer. So there was no real intention of growing it into a large MSP, kind of like you know, I need a vehicle for me to be able to invoice for my time. Form this limited company because, you know, if it does grow, then at least then it's not all about me as an individual. And subconsciously, as I said, there was no kind of, oh, it's going to become this or it's going to become that. But I guess, you know, I must have been thinking it was going to become something. Otherwise, I just would have called it Paul Tomlinson Consulting. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think, you know, that's 19 years graft, um, I think is is what it comes down to, you know, and uh we went from being, you know, myself, and then we had uh, four shareholders at one point, and then we backtracked on some of those shareholdings, and you know, those people didn't feel we were the right team, um, so they they bought themselves out of business, and then we had other people that came in, and there was lots of changes in the kind of strong management team that I thought we we'd established at day one, which ultimately I was the only remaining director from the day one directors. But when I exited the business, you know, the team that I had was definitely the best team I ever had, you know, and and those guys, the majority of them are still there in the business, working with the the company that bought us and and doing a great job, you know, and Myra's doing incredibly well and continues to do so well. Those years of building the business, I, I think there was highs and lows like in any business. 
there was probably the first 10 years where it was almost like we bumbled along um, and yet we did incredibly well just bumbling along and then we realized that maybe we should have a plan for this because bumbling along didn't feel like the right way to grow a, a large business and to have everyone's livelihoods on, on the line. So when we decided to start planning a little bit more, actually we saw that massive step change and you know growth and I think it was at that point we had that realization that we created something really good and we could create something even better if we plan to create something better and once we started doing the planning I don't think we we kind of took the foot off the gas because we said well we think we can do this let's do that and then we were like okay well we've achieved that goal let's achieve the next goal and it was a very nice team and a, a, a nice focus on trying to get to the end result there was a huge amount of life lessons along the way lots of things to learn about people management things that I felt I did incredibly well things that people who work for me probably didn't think so <laughs> you know and and I think reflecting on some of those I think they were probably right sometimes so um but it, it, yeah, it's it's been a, a really enjoyable journey along the way and uh, something I, I look back with a lot of fond memories. Quite a few boozy nights, um, not so many of those now. I mean, since I've sold the business, I think I've had one beer. Um, so, you know, and, and that's not been any kind of health decision. It's just, you know, COVID and, you know, family life and things like that. It's just all gotten in the way. So I need to plan a long weekend at some point and you know, <laughs> get back on it. Well, considering I live down the road, mate, I'm sure we could probably catch up for a for a yeah. beer or something at some yeah. point. No, that's right. As long as we're not watching cricket, Scott, I'll be okay. <laughs> it brings us up to present day and, and something I'm, believe it or not, something I'm really passionate about now, and that is general well-being and fitness. I know. Can you believe it? From you know playing playing cricket like I did and being fit like I was back in the early twenty when I was early twenties and life gets in the way and you start eating rubbish and you start not putting an emphasis on fitness during COVID. I I didn't have COVID belly. I went the other way. I lost three and a half stone. Oh wow! Well, and and there was a reason for that, Paul. One of one of the reasons is I was a heart attack waiting to happen. You know, the other one is I looked at my ten year old and my fourteen year old and said I want to be around for a while, but. Most importantly for me, when I started getting fit and started walking and running, and, and now I'm just obsessed with cycling, I actually got up every morning with a spring in my step yeah. and really wanted to get stuck into whatever I was doing that day, whether it was the gardening, whether it was watching Andrew play cricket, whether it was watching Eleanor do her drama. You know, I actually had a, such a better feeling about myself and a better emphasis on the day ahead. So you went from IT, Myris, great job, you know, fantastic journey. And all of a sudden you've pivoted and started up a gym. Tell me how that came, how does that come about? And is it an epiphany like I had, or was it, no, I've always been interested in this. I'm going to take this down. And I think with my business skills, I can set up a new business. I, th I think it was a bit of both, if I'm honest. So the, the gym is me and my wife, whereas Myris was very much me. And my wife took this sort of, I, I wouldn't say homemaker role because that's not how you'd ever describe my wife. She took a bit of a, a backseat in terms of what she wanted to do. So she was delivering personal training to people. You know, she was doing that in a small facility we'd built at the end of our garden. And she really enjoyed it and she's incredibly good at it. But obviously that had to work around my career and my business. And when we sold Myris, we just said, look, you've been on this kind of backseat and you've had to do really what I needed you to do and work around me. We both enjoy going to the gym. It's something that you know, is a shared passion. Why don't we try and do something together and try and make something of it? Scott, if I'm honest, it was never meant to be a business as such. It was meant to be, well, it was a, a business, but a lifestyle business. We were looking at a small gym, five to 10,000 square feet, you know, something that was basically for delivering personal training, 
having a bit of fun with it and seeing people develop and get fit and you know having that real direct connection with all of our members. What we've ended up with, which a few people have said is what they always thought I'd do if I started a new business, we've ended up with a 20,000 square foot facility, which is massive. <laughs> yeah. Thousands of members who, surprisingly, I actually probably know most of their names. That's awesome. And um, just this amazing community that we've built. You know, we've got disabled athletes train here. We've got young people that are, they've got world record titles to their names. We've got these strong men, and as in competitors, strong men. Yep. There's lots of strong blokes here, but it's just. I've been not a 10 then. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, CrossFit athletes and we've got everything, you know, youngest member 16, oldest member 75. And these people just all get on together. You know, you've got this massive bodybuilder guy and he might be standing on the step of having a chat with an older lady about, you know, whatever he's chatting about. And I'm just like, wow, that's a mix you'd never expect to see. So it's a community as much as anything. Very much so. Yeah. It's funny, actually, when I'm away from the gym, I feel like I'm missing something, not because I don't feel the team do a great job. But actually, I miss the community and the people around it. Yeah. What we've built really is something that we can enjoy as, you know, a a community. We've got great people in the gym. Like any business dealing with the public, you sometimes get somebody who doesn't share everyone else's values. Of course. But that's just the way of life. And that's a challenge we've got to deal with. But no, it's it's been great, actually. And I've enjoyed my training. It's given me a little bit more focus. I'm, I'm 45 next year. So I'm probably in better shape than I've been throughout the rest of my adult life. Yep. So yeah, I'm in the best shape I've been. I feel as fit as I've ever felt. You know, I've got like a bike ride next week to do a 110k bike ride. I haven't trained for it, but I'm thinking, yeah, that's fine. I'll just do that. Um, I don't think I ever would have felt that way before. MedCloud. Get connected. Cyber safe is our mantra. From tailored, managed security solutions to our next-generation cloud platform, MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at MetCloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com. data had a sound, it could be this, the sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. MedCloud, get connected, cyber safe. Yeah, no, I love that. I I found, you know, during COVID, everyone had lost their, I won't say their identity, but their goals. It was all too easy to say, oh, it's COVID, I don't have to go out, or I can't go out, or oh, it's COVID, so therefore, you know, we're not going to obtain our objectives this month or this quarter or whatever. For me, it was the opposite. I needed to have some inspiration to achieve. I had a goal that I wanted to ride from home here all the way up to Stoke Bruin, you know, along the Canal Pass, through Milton Keynes, along the Canal Path, all the way up to Stoke Bruin. 
we did this, you know, it was, a, it was a 92K mountain bike ride. And, you know, a year before that, Paul, I would have been lucky to do 24Ks. So, yeah, that's a real achievement. Then. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I've gone out and bought a new bike. Yeah, I'm the happiest now when I'm sitting either on my bike out in the road or in my garage sitting on Zoom. Okay. <laughs> that's my release and that's my objective. How long am I going for tonight? Oh, it's an hour. You know what? I reckon I could do an hour and 15 minutes tonight, you know? And so there's, there was a goal that may not have been an objective from a business sense, but I put it, I channeled that energy into something else. And it sounds like, you know, you've gone from the Myra side where it's all been about the numbers and the inspiring the hundred people and getting that business firing. You've now got this new lease of life. You're sharing that with your, with your wife and your family. This is a point I want to make. How has your relationship at home changed now that you're now business partners or colleagues or or whatever. There's a lot of people listening to this podcast are actually in family businesses. And you hear the ones that say, oh God, you know, she has to do this and I have to do that, or he has to do this. And because we can't work together. Me personally, I love working with my wife or being with my wife. The more time we spend together, the better we get on. How do you get on as colleagues? I think, you know, we tried working together when um, when we had Myra. So Jess is a qualified accountant. When she had our first child, she wanted a part-time job that would allow her to get away from looking after the child for a bit and have some adult time. But she didn't enjoy that job. She didn't enjoy being an accountant. So she didn't do a very good job, to be honest, and she recognises that. So once we got past the fact that she was disengaged and it wasn't what she wanted to do, and we just decided that wasn't the right way forward and she should focus on something she's passionate about, then life became much easier at home. Coming into this business, I was hopeful that we wouldn't end up in that same place again. But because she's so passionate about fitness and so passionate about what we do here, we, we don't have that same problem. Um, if anything, I think it's sometimes the challenge more comes with trying to, to create the balance between a business and over delivering. Um, so she's overly focused on providing the, the best experience, the best results and things like that. And sometimes we just need to rein that in a little bit. But um, but yeah, in terms of our relationship, we've tried to we've tried to keep working work. You know, and it is so so easy with working from home and things like that to to allow that to blur over. But we just structure our day so we have our time for work and our time for ourselves, and that tends to be the easiest way to do it. Don't get me wrong; we have the odd day where, you know, we massively disagree on certain things, and it takes a little while before we end up getting to a, a way to move forward. But like you, Scott, I enjoy spending time with my wife, so it's nice. But I love to see her work in the gym and work with clients and see, you know, her in her element. You know, she she really enjoys being there, leading classes, you know, delivering one-to-ones with people. You know, not my thing. I, I think if there were two people looking for the limelight and looking to be to do the same role in the business, I could see it being difficult. I think where the roles that we have are different enough, we have roles that play to our strengths, then I think actually we both recognize that she's better at making certain decisions around certain things. And equally, she looks at me and says, this is one you need to deal with and things like that. So we've tried to create a lot of structure in what's a relatively small business. You know, there's 20 people employed in the business and, you know, we don't even generate a million of turnover. And, you know, yet we probably have the same structure that a business of 60, 80, 100 people might, might have. Um, and I think a lot of that's come from having, obviously, other businesses and trying to introduce that same level of structure into this. It's easy, process-driven, that type of thing. Um, but actually, that's played out really well in terms of us making sure we understand what our roles and responsibilities are. So, so yeah, I'm not saying it every day's rosy. Um, It'd be strange if it was, to be fair. Yeah, but it's also nice sometimes to look at things and, and to disagree. I think if 
if every day was just, oh, we agree on this, then you're almost the same person, aren't you? Whereas we do have our own identities. And I think actually viewing things in a slightly different way sometimes is nice because then you get that challenge of trying to win the argument. Yeah, no, well, and we all know who wins that, by the way. But there's there's a couple of things you've said in our conversation here, which I, I really like more than a couple of things. But there's something that I hear a lot when I speak to people in the podcast, and, and it's about taking the adversity, whether it's early on in life, later on in life, but using that to your advantage. And you've, and there's there's two things I see here. One was that the, the initial adversity of losing the business and, and having that shock horror of the bankruptcy and, and saying, okay, what am I going to do now? And you taking on the thing, you know what, I'm going to go to Dublin. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this myself. Really love that. Really love that inspiration. But the other thing too is the thing that you learned with Myris and that was, you know, we bumbled along for 10 years and then all of a sudden we said, you know what, if we plan this and do this and do this, we've got so much more we can achieve, which you indeed did. But I love how, you know, you've started a business and you've forged a business and a community in probably and arguably the worst time in economic history over the last, what, since you and I have been around. You know, there's been some upheavals in our lives, like 9-11 and the Berlin Wall falling down. Believe it or not, I still remember all that. But you've started a business, a brand new business in the worst pandemic we've seen in generations. But... Yeah, and it's going okay. And it's going well. Yeah, exactly. But you've also put business planning that you had for Myris in the latest stages of the, the career at Myris into the early stages of First Gym. So it seems like it's an evolutionary tract. Everything you do is for a reason. And would that be fair to say, okay, these are the lessons I've learned. I'm taking it to the next level this time. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day about what I've taken from Myris and brought it into this business. And one of the key things was that focus on recurring revenue. Because I think when you when you boil down an MSP and you boil down a gym, I mean, at the end of the day, both businesses are just interested in recurring revenue. And it all comes down to lead generation, winning that lead, you know, and retaining that client through quality service delivery. So, so many of our KPIs that we have in the business now are very similar to the KPIs that we used to use within the MSP business. You know, we're looking at overheads covered per month from our recurring income. We're looking at survey feedback from our, our clients, you know, all of those sort of things. It's a completely different business, but actually those KPIs and the, the style at which we, how we manage those and how we try and improve on those is very, very similar. So I think, you know, for anyone who's had a successful business, there's got to be lessons you've learned from that that you could take on to another one. And I think it, it is that, you know, having Myris under my belt, I think, is is what's allowed me, myself and my wife, to be able to create this business and, and for it to do as well as it's. And, you know, when I start looking at what we've got planned over the next few years with this business, uh, I'm confident we're going to be able to deliver on that as well. Whereas I think somebody else might say, well, I've got one gym, it's going okay, I'll just stick with that. I think um, whilst this, again, was meant to be a lifestyle business, I've kind of got the bug for it now, Scott. Yeah. So I don't think we'll stop at one. Um, I can see franchising happening. I know, no. I, I can't do the franchise model because we're too too focused on our brand. And too oh, focused. fair enough. Yep. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, I actually own shares in a, a franchise gym business. So I, I completely agree that franchise gyms are a great thing. But it's not the ethos of this one. Exactly. And I think that's where this one's going to be slightly different. So, But we do have um, we have an opportunity for a large corporate where they want to put a gym into their facility and look after 8,000 of their staff. Wow, yeah, I love that. We've got another facility we've got in mind uh, for next year, um, about 25 miles from where we are now. So we're just looking at premises at the moment. 
And then we've got loads of different things we're doing with the wider community at the moment. So we're in the process of establishing a charity, doing more for young people, getting them fit, working with local GP surgeries to help people who are clinically obese or about to become clinically obese, so that actually we can prevent some of those problems that people face, but doing that at no cost. Um, so, you know, just a little bit giving back to the local community because it feels like the right thing to do, you know. Um, Absolutely. That's a key point because that's where I was, as I said, at the start of the pandemic last year, you know, I was officially, if you look at the BMI scale you get from the NHS, I was, what is it, uh, obese and morbid, morbidly obese. And that's where I had that thing of saying, hey, we've got to do something about that. I just did it because I've got a little bit of an idea about, you know, with, with my previous cricket history and so forth, I knew what I was going to do. But people that don't know where to start, you know, people don't realise that they need to sort their diet out, you know. It's okay to have a burger, but not every not every lunch and dinner, you know. But you don't have to run either. You can walk distances and still lose weight, and you can you can feel fit. and And having some guidance is a big thing for that, in my opinion. And that, and that's what we're trying to do with these people. That you know, we we know they'll never be regular gym goers, but um, if we can help them just understand that what they put in their mouth, you know, they need to burn off, and and how they can track that, and how they can improve their general activity to help prevent them becoming morbidly obese and, and having health issues, then that's something we'd like to do. And, you know, we can do that without any cost to our business, as we said, the wider community. Plus, you know, ultimately people might get the bug and they might become members and, you know, then we can benefit from that, you know, from profits through that. But, um, but yeah, it's just, as I said, it feels like the right thing to do. And, and so many people are, badly educated when it comes to things or, you know, pick up these kind of fad diets. And, and what, what we're trying to do is, you know, we have a large proportion of members that are here just to be fit for life is their kind of almost their goal. They want that balance, like they'll go out and they'll have a beer and a burger and they won't bother, you know, eating healthy every single day, but they'll come in the gym and they'll burn it off and they can play with their kids and they can run around and they can get involved in their dad's game football. That's good enough for them. You know, they don't want to be competitive bodybuilders, but but yeah, seeing the the mix of people and actually how hard some of them work is, um, yeah, it's good. So, you know, I think it inspires me to work a little bit harder when I come to the gym, seeing those people working. Just, I think I'm, I'm worried if I'm honest, Scott, they're looking across and judging me. So I feel like I have to <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pop in the next couple of weeks anyway, because I want to, I want to see the gym and, and all that. And to be honest with you, you may have a new member, but we'll talk about that at another point. We have, we have a final quick fire three that I go through on the podcast, but I have one more question in my normal series. You and I have something very much in common and you don't know this. Well, yeah, you probably do know this. Not a love of cricket, obviously. I'm going to change that at some point. Seriously, I'm, I'm going to change that. But Milton Keynes, you talk about the community. You've talked about giving back into Milton Keynes College. I've started two businesses in Milton Keynes, as you know, with Orvik and Katopia. I've set up their offices in Milton Keynes. It gets a lot of stick from people that have never been there in their life and have got no idea what they're talking about. For me, it's, it's, it's the hub in our area for you know logistics, big companies like Santander and Mercedes-Benz are there. You've got everything you need at your doorstep. Tell me a little bit about, you know, you were saying you, you're involved in the community, but why Milton Keynes for you? And, and because it is a great place to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love it. So we moved here when I think I was eight. I think my, my dad decided to locate us here. So he was he was basically traveling the country and he was just like, new city, center of the center of the country. Let's go there because that just works for his work. And I think, you know, Myris has benefited through the years, through the growth of Milton Keynes. You know, when I moved away and 
I came back, you know, moving to Dublin, coming back and moving out of a, a capital city where, I mean, I absolutely love Dublin as a city, but I love Dublin as a city for a weekend or a, a week and more with mates and seeing family than a place where I'd necessarily want to raise kids. The opportunities in Milton Keynes, the things that you can do just for fun in Milton Keynes, um, there's so much more than I think any other city in the UK. We enjoy doing lots of things as a family and we can always find something to do within Milton Keynes as it stands. You know, it's, it's rare that we'll, we'll have to say, oh, in order to do that, we have to go here or we have to go somewhere else. So, so I think from, a, you know, access to facilities, green space, you know, those type of things is great. I've got to be honest, I live slightly outside Milton Keynes. So I live about three miles outside Milton Keynes. By moving about a mile outside Milton Keynes, so I'm getting closer. Yeah, yeah. the reason why I brought it up is it gets so much stick, and you know, I I think it's a, a tremendous place to 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 have. You know, I'm I'm in Ampdale or just near Ampdale, so I'm not that far away. But um, to set up a business or to have on the doorstep, and as you say, so much, so many facilities close by is 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 for me something good. And you spoke, you know, you spoke about giving back to the community, and that's something I'm involved in as well. So I really love that. Paul, I'm going to finish off with a quick fire three. And basically what they are is the first thing that comes in your head. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, what do you wish you knew at 20 that you do now? Focus on recurring revenue. Um, I think that would have absolutely been a game changer. I, I, think that's, I think that's fair. Was recurring revenue a thing back 25 years ago? Not really from our side, probably from managed print, to be honest. Yeah, managed print maybe, but but no, no, I don't think from any other technology businesses and kind of looked at it that way. I think there was back then there was so much profit in the one-off ticket sale. There was so much margin to be had that people didn't worry about the recurring income. They just focused on selling more and selling consultancy days. I think as margins got eroded with people being able to price match things on Google and just the whole landscape became more competitive. I think that's the shift then that we had into focusing on recurring income. Yeah, absolutely agree. Do you have a favorite book, business book or CEO that you follow and why? Um, I, I really like Traction, you know, the um, the EOS uh, methodology. I like that book because there's elements of it that I, I think work really, really well in a business. But I don't, I mean, tend to be the kind of guy that if someone says, you should read this, I'll read that. Um, I'll read the book and I'll kind of absorb the bits that I, I want to read. There's a book that I sometimes go back to, uh, Good to Great. I think I've probably read it three or four times. And I, every time I read it, I'm in a different space in my mind and I take something different from it. It's not that, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I go, let me go and read that book and see if it helps me. Not like a self-help guide, but something where I think, you know, I'll pick it up two years later and I'll read it again. And, and just because of where I am and where I'm at in my mind, where I'm at with my business, there's, there's sometimes things that I pick up differently that I can take from there and say, okay, I, I get that in a slightly different way. But yeah, I think, you know, when people recommend a book, I do tend to read them. But other than that, I don't actively go out and, and look for something. I, I'm one of these people that I, I love a good LinkedIn article. You know, people tag a LinkedIn article and go down the rabbit hole and you're just kind of like, yeah, I read that and really enjoyed that. And, and, and you take that one paragraph and then try and focus on it. But again, new industry, I've been focusing a little bit more on podcasts. Um, so, you know, I've been looking at various different podcasts and saying, you know, what ones relate to the industry that I'm in um, now, but also what ones do I think I'll enjoy. Um, so Diary of a CEO, I quite enjoy that when I'm on a long drive. The Game, which is a guy called Alex Hormozzi, I really enjoy his, but that's very gym focused. But it, it's, um, it's also focused on 
entrepreneurs and building a business and things like that. So he's he's quite an entertaining guy, a kind of no bullshit kind of guy that, to listen to as well. Yeah, love that. I've got into podcasts in a big way, sitting on my bike, obviously. Um, I listen to uh, a podcast called Latka, Nathan Latka, who's all about SaaS businesses. Okay. I'm a massive history geek. So Dan Snow's history hit. James and Al Murray doing um, We Have Ways of Making You Talk. They're all history history podcasts on World War Two or World War One, and, and obviously the Vanguard podcast is obviously one of the biggest ones around as well. Obviously, I mean, after today. After today, it's going to be massive. You know, it's good. everyone in Milton Keynes will be listening to it. <laughs> Last one for you, mate. And before we go, really appreciate your time. I've really enjoyed catching up. I'm looking forward to popping in for a coffee in the next couple of weeks if, uh, if there's an invite there. There's an invite there. Thanks, mate. Number three, who's been the greatest inspiration in your life? Or do you have a mantra that you live by? Um, I think probably my dad, and I know that sounds a bit... Um, Not at all. Shocked, but um, my dad's work ethic is probably the thing that I respect the most and something that I've taken into my life. Um, I think my dad's visited something like 62 different countries. He was an Antarctic survey engineer. He was a coal miner. Um, he, I mean, his last job was basically... He used to work for Tetra Pak, the people who make the milk yep, cartons. Of um, course, the rousings. Yeah, and he would work on the uh, PLC system to basically automate those. So that was where my kind of my IT bit came from as I was growing up. But he was very much one of those people. He is very much one of those people that would get up in the morning and just get the work done. And whatever it took, you know, if it's four in the morning, he's still doing it, but it needs to get done. And that's his attitude towards work. So I think that's that work ethic and that approach to work is the way that I've always worked, you know, kind of let's get stuck in, let's get it done. Um, and I think that's something that I've always done, but only because of the example that he set in his working life. I, I think that's fantastic. It's not corny at all. Uh, in fact, I lost my dad two and a half weeks ago. And oh, sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, thanks, mate. And, and, you know, he was my greatest inspiration. He was my hero. His work ethic, I've never seen anything like it. And I think that's a good thing. I, people talk about, oh, you know, my dad this, my dad that. I think it's a good thing that we look up to our parents because we spend so much time with them. And we have a period, like like our children now, yours is 15, mine's 14, where they don't really want to acknowledge us. And obviously anything that we say is rubbish. And, and But we went through that. But it's as you get older and you appreciate just how much your parents do for you. Um, I don't think it's corny at all, mate. I'm, I'm a massive fan of that. And I think that's a fantastic, fantastic answer. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I've taken 45 minutes of your time out of your very, very busy day these days. And I, I really genuinely enjoyed our catch up. I, I've enjoyed the story. I've, I've always enjoyed speaking about what's been going on. And as I said to you, the first day we met was in Coventry football ground in, in 2014. And you, and you inspired me and, and made me feel welcome and, and really got me involved in the community at CompTIA. So I really appreciate that. I've always wanted to catch up and, and, and do something like this with you. And we've, we've been managed to do it. So I really appreciate your time this morning. No problems. I really enjoyed it, mate. So no, it's been good. Thanks, Scott. I really enjoyed catching up again with Paul. He's been someone I've really admired for a very long time and always gave me the time to chat whenever we crossed our paths, regardless of his busy schedule. I really appreciate how open and honest Paul was with his early challenges and the lessons he learned prior to forming Myris and growing that business to the well-respected success it became locally and internationally. You know, the amount of times I hear podcast guests talk about inspirational characters in their lives is really amazing. And I love how they open up and talk about how they helped guided, mentored, 
Um, so my question to the listeners out there is, do you have a mentor? And if so, how have they impacted your life or your career? Feel free to send me an email or a message and we'll try and read them all out in future episodes. Paul's story of backing himself, learning from those early setbacks and taking life lessons from everything he does really rings true. And the passion he now has for the the new business, working with his wife, building that community really is inspirational. But as importantly, it sounds like Paul has truly found that lifestyle business he was hoping for. The saying, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life really rings true with Paul, I'd say. Thanks, Paul, for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and hearing about the ups and downs of where you are. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Vanguard podcast. And today's episode is really special as I want to dedicate it to my dad, John, who sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago back home in Melbourne, aged 80. I couldn't be there to hold his hand, but I'm grateful we could video chat and say our goodbyes. And I want to thank him for everything he did for me in my 49 fantastic years I had with him. Dad, you were my hero, my friend, and most of all, the best dad anyone could ever hope for. And I hope I do you proud. Rest in peace, mate, and give my love to mum. Thanks, everyone. And remember, take care, stay safe, and keep on innovating.